and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Stephen Butler. Now, Stephen is a member of the band Smash Palace. The South Jersey band, they've had a long and interesting career. Stephen, alongside his brother Brian, originally formed the new wave band Quincy back in the late 70s. They released their self-titled album in 1980. Things were looking great. They were touring. The album was doing well. All of a sudden, they get a cease and desist letter from, you guessed it, Quincy Jones. They basically put a kibosh on Quincy. Stephen and Brian ended up performing Smash Palace a couple years later. They got a deal right away, and they released their self-titled album in 1985. Featuring the song Living on the Borderline, great song, the video was doing well on MTV, and of course the music business got in the way, manager got sick, A&R guy left, so naturally Smash Palace, nothing happened with them. Brian and Steven actually ended up getting jobs as staff songwriters, they did that for for a while, very lucrative, but Steven didn't really like it, he talks about that, talks about how he got Smash Palace back together again. They released uh, their last album back in 2021, and they're releasing songs here and there. Very interesting career. Steven tells me what he was doing while he wasn't in Smash Palace. It's pretty interesting. Steven, very nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Noel. Yeah. So we'll kind of, I guess, kind of go all over the place, but we'll kind of start in the present. Um, what are you uh, What are you up to right now? I know the last album, Smash Palace, was 21, back in 21, which is a fantastic album. So uh, what have you been up to lately? Um, working on new Smash Palace songs. I think uh, there'll be an EP this summer. And, uh, and in between 21 and 23, uh, Sony, Sony Legacy, uh, remastered and uh, re-released our first album. So, uh, and besides Smash Palace, I play in another band called Rogers and Butler. So uh, we've we have an album out right now, and I've done three records with uh, Edward Rogers. And you mentioned, you know, any new music right now? You're going to do like, you know, an EP for Smash palace um is that kind of like where most artists are going now like releasing just an ep or maybe like an individual track on like online or something like that it's like a full-length album is that kind of like the way of the past um it's i think it's an easy way to get music out quickly and you know the ep format has been around for a long time i mean a lot of people's records in england used to come out as EPs, but i think it's um uh, it's one of those things where people aren't buying CDs that much anymore. Right. So it's kind of discouraging. You'll put all of this work into a full length album and uh, there's, you know, you get attention to maybe one or two of the tracks that become like, you know, the radio singles or whatever. Yeah. But um, you don't see as much, uh, as it doesn't generate as much, uh, you know, income when you go to an EP. That's one of the downsides of an EP. Right. Uh, you're still doing everything that you would do for an LP. So if you do if you do a four song EP, 
you're still going to go to radio. You're still going to go to all the press out, you know, outsource, or I should say, yeah. sources or whatever. And um, so you still have to spend the same amount. You still got to manufacture CDs or LPs if you're going to do vinyl. So you, you go through the same process, it's the same money, but you're only going to make half the money on an EP that you're going to make on a LP. So that's kind of where the rubber, you go back and forth where, you know, do we do a full album? Do we do an EP? If we do an album, you know, it's probably going to be more like an 18 month thing rather than putting one out every nine months. So <laughs> I go back and forth. Right. But when like 21 came out and that was a full length album, like, what were like your expectations for that? I mean, was it you wanted to obviously be successful, but did you notice like sales of like CDs? Did you put it on vinyl? Was it more streaming? Like, where was like you know the people listening to that album from? I think most people are streaming, and um, and I, and I'm glad people are listening to it by in in, in any way they, they right. choose. You know, art, artist wise, it's not all that great with the streaming because they, uh, hang on a second, they, uh, they, they pay so little. I think it's yeah. 0.006 of a cent. Right. It's streamed. Whereas, you know, if you, if you get on uh, regular radio or especially if you get on uh, radio, radio stations um, that are, Oh, I'm trying to. Th I'm trying to think of like like serious. If you get on a serious XM yeah, station, right, you get paid a lot of money when you get played on those stations yeah. because they're all over the place. They, they yeah. broadcast worldwide. It's not just in Philadelphia or New York City. So I don't know. It's. Uh, I, I always say, you know, when young people ask me, you know, should I get in the music business? I'm like, well, if you want to make music, make music. You know, if you have to, and it's really yeah. something you got to do, but something that uh you know makes generates the kind of income that it used to do in the 90s and 80s and all of that i don't know i mean it seems like even like for someone who's just an independent artist who's just starting has more avenues to get their stuff out rather than someone standing on the corner you know holding a cassette or a cd they can put their stuff on youtube they can put them on the streaming sites and then the record company once those guys get 9 million views or whatever subscribers can take them and they already have the fan base. So this, this is really doing the record companies work now. You, you make a really good point. And it's, uh, it's a thing of the whole thing where, you know, I, I use a, a computer-based recording system called Pro Tools. Right. So Pro Tools has democratized the recording process. Yeah. So, you know, you can go out and spend a couple thousand dollars and have like a really great state-of-the-art yeah. recording platform to use. Whereas uh, when I first started out and we did our first record with Columbia Records in 1980, um, it cost so much money right. to make a record. You had to go to a studio and tape machines. I mean, studio time was $200 an hour 40 years ago. Right. Whereas now you can go into some of those same studios for $50 an hour hmm. or you can record at home for free. So the yeah. prices come way down. There's so much new music. It's like a needle in a haystack finding things. Yeah. It's, you're, absolutely, yeah you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's hard finding. I mean, it's, it's all out there, but it's really hard to, yeah. you know, to, to discover it. Now, 
what do you uh, the label you're on is that like your label or is that you guys have to just do all the like footwork you know promotions everything is that all you no uh, no no i've been on um and everything i work with has been on a label uh i, I think smash palace did two records and one in 2000 and one in 2004 they were independently released okay and um and it was fine because then, I mean, people were buying a lot of CDs. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you could do really well. Um, but the record, uh, 21, came out on a, it's In the Pocket Productions. Okay. Which is, uh, which is a startup investment label where they kind of uh, invest in artists and, uh, you know, pay for the things that you need to get done right. to, to promote a record, so. No, that album, it's like a 60s, 70s, you know, vibe where it's kind of like an evolution from like where Quincy, which I love that album was, you know, New Wave-ish. And then the first yeah. Smash Palace is like, I can do modern rock, you know, fits fits the times yeah. of the 80s. Now, is this more of the music that you appreciate, what you have now? Or is it like the Quincy music or the 85 Smash Palace? Like, what do you really like gravitate to? Or is it all of it? Well, I'm, I'm a huge fan of you know, 60s, early 70s music, I, you know, for, for me, that was, that was kind of the renaissance right. of rock and roll. And, you know, you can debate it endlessly, but let's face it, the bands that they came out of that era, the Beatles and the Stones and the Kings or whatever, you know, they've left a legacy that's yeah. still very much alive. I don't know if what's been released and played over the past 20 years, if that's going to have that that value right uh, i question that so but I, I really i really love that era of music and it definitely influences the way i uh, approach music i write with my brother brian yeah. and do you know the, the majority of the writing on the, our records and for 21 i went and saw that movie uh echo in the canyon so which, which is all about for those people who don't know uh, we're listening, yeah. 1960s Laurel Canyon. It's where the kind of the birth of the birds, Buffalo Springfield, Mamas and the Papas, um, Beach Boys, and all that, all that great music. And when I, I went to the theater to see that movie, and when it began, I was almost in tears because it was so beautiful. Right. It, it just brought me back to a time. Um, I guess I'm being nostalgic here, but it, it floored me because I realized, you know, a lot of times people always say, oh, you know, you, you really sound like, you know, like you're like a, an Anglophile. But I realized, yeah, I'm an Anglophile, but man, I got to tell you, that music that came out of California at that time was just as important. Right. So so, so when we approached the record, I, you know, I, I just started gravitating towards <laughs> those sounds. Yeah. Because that's what I've been filling my head with. Right. Yeah, I had uh, Dennis Young on a couple of years ago, and he said that um, the Beatles were pretty much the greatest job uh, creators in the arts. Because once everyone watched that Ed Sullivan show, everyone wanted to be a musician. So they were responsible for like thousands, maybe even millions of people in the music industry. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, it's, yeah. uh, you know, people like Neil Young, Bruce Springsteen, all those guys all say that. They saw Ed Sullivan. And yeah. Changed their life. Yeah. 
and you, you know, you, see, you continue to write with your the brother Brian. Has your like writing process with him changed over the years? Um, it went through um, one significant change, and that was uh, when we when we used to first write for Quincy and the early Smash Palace stuff. We would just get a, you know, my kitchen table or his kitchen table, and I'd have a guitar, and he'd have a notepad out, and um, we would just write songs like that. Yeah. And, and Brian wrote the majority of the lyrics on those early records, whereas, um, and I was more of the chord melody guy kind of stuff. And then I think the band went on hiatus in uh, the late '80s, early '90s. All right. And uh, Brian and I were staff songwriters. Okay. And uh, CBS and EMI, BMG, and um, and then we we didn't do music together for I don't know five or six years. But when we got back, he was like, you know, hey, let's get back get together and make music. And um, I decided to buy a bunch of recording equipment. And that's when we're still using tape machines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And I set it up in my house and I got a mixing console and I'm like, I don't have any idea how any of this stuff works. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, we're just going to have to figure it out. And uh, fortunately, I had a music room with a with a grand piano and a Hammond organ and somebody had stored at my house a, a set of 1965 Ludwig drums. They were the Ringo kit. Okay. So I said, well, we got everything here. And I said, no, you know, now we just got to get a drummer. And Brian goes, well, I'll, I'll play drums. I said, you don't know how to play drums. <laughs> and he said, how hard can it be? <laughs> well, we'll find out. So yeah. we approached the whole thing like, forget about record labels, forget about making music for mm-hmm. any business entity. We're just, let's let's pretend we're teenagers again. Right. We're just going to make music that we like. No pressure. And we had a great time making the record his drumming turned out to be pretty darn good <laughs> and, and it's funny I, I, today i can listen to that record and i can hear a song and go that's the first song brian was playing drums because <laughs> he gets progressively better right <laughs> yeah and um and out of the blue i mean an indie label picked it up and put it out and and then uh you know we didn't even shop it or anything they came to us and, and the rest is kind of history yeah, that was uh, Fast, Long, Loud, right? Yeah, Fast, Long, Loud. Yeah. And, and, and then what happened, since Brian was playing drums and we were writing the songs, I ended up doing a lot of the singing. And then Brian said, well, why don't, you know, you ought to sing because I'm on drums now. And I'm like, what? I'm going to be the lead singer. You're the lead singer. And he goes, right. no, no, you can be the lead singer. And I was yeah. like, okay, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then we started writing lyrics together, which was like, a, mm-hmm. that, that was probably the big change. Yeah. but other than that we, we still do it the same when that well kind of bounce around but when that album came out was that kind of like because that was pretty much like the fnc of, of the internet right? it wasn't social media so was that kind of like oh wow smash palace is back now was it a big like you know surprise you guys released an album because it was like 14 years since you released your debut album smash palace was it um i think it was unexpected but i think the good thing about playing music with brian is when we're making music together, we see each other all the time. Okay. And uh, it, I think it's kind of the glue that, keep, that keeps us tight. You know, the, right. the love of music and making it together. So that's yeah. a good thing. Right. 
when you guys were staff writers, you know, uh, writing songs like for other other people, how difficult is it to do that knowing it's not your song? You're just kind of they passing it off. Is, is it different than knowing you you guys are going to perform a song as opposed to like some other artist? No, I got to tell you, it was probably the most depressing five years of making music in my life. Wow. Okay. And, and we made the most money. Wow. <laughs> and, um, but it was not fun. Right. Because at first we were like, you know, we were, we were going to make a new Smash Palace record, but all the machinations that were going on between labels, going from one label to another label, things getting yeah. postponed. And we were broke and we were like, you know, we have to make a living. And uh, so the publishing thing was like, they pay you a big advance at the beginning of the year and they say, okay, you owe us 10 songs. Okay. And we would write 20 because we right. were like, but the, the problem was, and we realized really quickly that all the bands that you love write their own songs. They don't need your songs. Yeah. So all the people that you kind of like, you're, you know, yeah. no, I, I think I think anybody who has a major label deal has talent. I mean, it, it, there is a bar, right? And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not disparaging any of those people, but they tended they tended not to be the people that I was all that interested in working with. So it was hard when they were saying, you know, can you guys write a song for Rat or Poison or yeah. Share or something like that? I, we were like clueless, right? Now, did you get like any like? feedback from them or resistance from your the albums or the songs that you wrote? Well, what happened was, uh, um, you know, do you know, are you familiar with Andy Partridge of XTC? Of course. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, he, he recently put out a record, my, my failed songwriting yeah. career or whatever. Right. And that was kind of the story with Brian and I, because we would get occasional covers, but they would end up being in Japanese or German. So we'd get like a copy of one of our songs Right. And be in German and we go, I guess it's okay. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> it made us a little bit of money, but we never really struck gold. Right. And we bounced from publisher to publisher because we, for some reason or other, uh, we've always been able to find people who want to give us money and yeah. help us make music. And it's, it's, it's a real blessing. And I thank all of those people who have, you know, spent a lot of money and most of it has not been spent. <laughs> Yeah. Recruit. Right. <laughs> yeah. So let's start like kind of like in the beginning with, with Quincy, which I absolutely love that album. It's, you know, fits the times. I'm a big Joe Jackson fan. So it kind of like has the Joe Jackson, you know, type, type, type of feel. Um, how, how did the whole lawsuit with Quincy Jones come about? And like, when did you hear about it? Because I'd imagine your career would have taken a much different turn if you were still Quincy. Yeah, it was it it was devastating. Um, we had uh, I, I'm gonna I'm even gonna go back a little bit before sure. give you a little bit of background. So we're from New Jersey, uh, in the southern part of the state, like where Patty Smith is from. Yeah, in that in that neck of the woods. And, and now I live like closer to Princeton, but I'm still in New Jersey, and. Um, the Philadelphia scene was always a hard nut for us to crack. And I don't know why, but it just never worked out. And um, the band was made up of two sets of Quincy. Originally, it was made up of two sets of brothers. It was Brian and I, and then uh, Gerald, who was the 
bass player and singer in uh, Quincy. He had a brother, Alex. Right. And Alex was murdered. Yeah. Uh, just out of the blue at J.C. Dobbs, which was a club on South Street, like the main scene. And um, it, it crushed us. He was, he was my best friend. Right. And, uh, it, it was really, really difficult for us. And even the, the scene in Philadelphia actually got worse for us after that because we were almost like a band that nobody would hire. Right. I don't know, maybe we felt we had this, like, uh, this tragedy, whatever. So we heard about uh, CBGB's was making uh, auditioning bands for a new live record they were going to make. And we, and we were kind of familiar with the music that was going on. We were paying attention. And um, so we decided to go up on a Monday night and we did an audition. When we played, it was two o'clock in the morning and there might have been 10 people there. <laughs> and they had a tape machine right next to the mixing board, 16 track, one inch tape machine. And they recorded everybody who came in to audition. So, you know, we left and uh, we went home and we were waiting, you know, hoping that they would call us and give us a good word. Nothing. And we would call all the time, nobody would answer. So finally, after about, a, I don't know, three weeks to a month, we, we were, you know, broke, living in a band house, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches mm. for dinner. And we chipped in and we sent one of the band members, Gerald, uh, to New York. And he got off at Port Authority, which is mm. like, you know, 40th and 9th or whatever. And he walked all the way down the Bleaker and Bowery. Wow, that's a walk. <laughs> that's a long hike. And Bleaker and Bowery in 1977 was not a great place to be. Yeah. It was rough. It was right. really rough area. But he walks down and he walks into the club and uh, he, the sound guy's there. It's in the afternoon and he says, uh, you know, we auditioned and, uh, you know, we wanted to see if, uh, has Hilly Crystal been able to listen to our tape? And he goes, I don't know. You know, what are you, what are you doing here? What are you asking me mm. about stuff? You know, and, he, he's, and Gerald was like, well, you know, I just spent like my last $5 to get here on the mm. bus. You know, took us a couple of hours to get here. And he goes, I don't care. And he just like, just blew him off. Right. So Gerald walks back out. He starts, it's, it's in the winter and it's now it's raining. And he's walking yeah. back to the bus, totally dejected. And he hears this guy yell, hey, hey you, what did you say the name of your band was? Gerald turns around and he goes, the name of our band's Quincy. And he goes, come with me. Gerald walks back into the, C the CPGBs, goes upstairs, there sits Hilly Crystal. And Hilly Crystal says, I love this band. It was my favorite recording out of all of the recordings I listened to, but you didn't leave any contact information. <laughs> so yeah. Hilly managed the band. And right. as soon as Hilly managed the band, he put us in front of all these different big acts, XTC or you know, who's ever coming through. Yeah. And um, we had all these record deal offers. And uh, we ended up, after a lot of going back and forth, signing with Columbia. And we signed with Columbia because, well, it was a lot of money, but Paul Atkinson from the Zombies right. signed us. Okay. We love the Zombies. We were like a total Zombies fanatic, fanatical band. And then, uh, so we got signed. We were, we were worried about our own name. And the uh, Columbia legal department went through and they said, yeah. they're fine. Right. You know, cause it was a, after we had 
started Quincy. Then, then came along a Quincy cartoon, a Quincy TV show. It's all That's over. the stuff we were worried about. Yeah. So we go out on tour and we did a couple tours and I think we were on like our second or third, third tour and we had just played the whiskey okay. in LA. And uh, I remember this so vividly because I'm sitting by the pool at the, at the hotel the next day and it, it's like everything was perfect. And uh, our lawyer calls us and he says, you've just been hit with a cease and desist order. You're being sued for stealing Quincy Jones' name. Wow. We were like, what? Who's yeah. my, my reaction was, who's Quincy Jones? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're 21 years old. Dude. Yeah. I don't know who Quincy Jones is. Right. So, um, yeah, it was really bad. So they ended up, you know, we finished out our tour. They pulled the record from the market. Mm. We tried to go back in and do another record. And, um, you know, the direction of the band was getting pulled. You know, if you have success, they'll let you do whatever you want on your next record. If, of course. if you don't have success, then yeah. they're all over you. I don't think this is the right song. What do you think about doing a song by somebody else? And it got so bad that Brian and I quit. We were in the middle of making the second Quincy record and Brian mm. and I just, I just went, this isn't what I want, yeah. how I want to play music. We started Smash Palace. And Smash Palace, I, I, it was like about 18 months later, we got a manager. And within 30 days, he got us a deal at Epic. We were offered one deal. We took it. Right. And 30 days after that, we were in the studio. Wow. So it was real quick. Now, with the name Smash Palace, I know there was like a movie in the early 80s with the, with the same title. Now, did you guys, once you had that you know, band name, research a ton of other bands to see if you were okay? This that is, was yeah. the only thing we knew of in Smash Palace. We researched it, and there was no, there was no problem with the film. And okay, we, good. So we never had any issue with that. And um, so the, the thing that, that's, that's kind of weird and it comes full circle for me, you know, Paul Atkinson signed uh, Quincy from the, Paul from, uh, from the Zombies signed Quincy. Right. And I'm going in, in April on tour with the Zombies in England. Oh, wow. With Rogers, with Rogers and Butler. So oh, that's get, great. Get together. And so yeah. It all, comes, all comes around. Full circle. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Now, yeah. did any of the, like the songs that you guys were working on for the second Quincy album like ever make it to the, like a Smash Palace album, like the first uh, album or anything? Or no, no uh, well, but they released an EP called Lulu Temple. Right. Okay. And uh, but that happened all after Brian and I left. Okay. And, and it was really just like recordings that they put together because we had gone through a couple different producers and they just you know took four of the tracks, put them together, mm -hmm. and released them and. That was kind of it, right? Yeah, I, I still have the uh, cassette of uh, you know, the first Smash Palace album. Of course, I don't have a cassette player anymore, but I still have a bunch of my cassettes. Right, right. I remember getting it, seeing the video for "Living on the Borderline" on on MTV, and I love the song. So I made my mom go to take me to Sears and get it there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, where, where, were you, where were you living then? Then I was that was eighty five. I was back in Queens. Oh, okay. I, I lived in Long Island for a couple of years, but I, okay. I, yeah, so it was it was Queens. I probably got it on the, the, at Sears on Long Island or something like that. But it, it's funny because I remember pretty much where I got all my CDs, albums, forty fives. It's it you you it's because songs are different than like say a TV show or a movie because there's memories with songs. 
you know, like I I see the movie, I may not know where theater I saw it, but I know what store I bought my albums and or CDs, and I still remember that to this day, almost forty years ago. <laughs> I I completely relate. I have that thing of like I can remember exactly where I was sometimes when I hear a song that I really love. Right, crowded house fan. Yeah, me too. The first, the first time I heard "Don't Dream It's Over," yeah, I remember the song was so good that I pulled my car off to the side of the road and just sat there and listened to it because I didn't want to be distracted. Right, this song is like a perfect pop song. Yeah, I, I had that too. Where like if I reach my destination and a great song is on, I'll, I'll wait till the song is finished before I get out of the car and you know go. Unless I'm like you know miss a flight or something like that, I'll let you know. <laughs> going to a store i'll sit in the car or whatever wait but i usually ask this question like towards the end but i'll ask you since we're kind of on the topic now do you remember where you were i'm sure you do where you heard you first heard one of your songs on the radio yeah um i heard uh actually it, it wasn't the single because the, the single from the quincy record was turned the other way around but i heard a song called critics choice which was the second song
Philadelphia radio on WMR, which is the big, you know, album rock. Yeah. Radio station here. Yeah, that's that's a great song. Um, Now with the the Smash Palace album, that was like mid 80s where that music was, you know, fantastic. Like I still like my favorite genre of music is like that time, like 85 on is it's like great with the modern rock and all, all those bands in there. Do you feel you kind of you guys kind of kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit? Because that album was great, but I feel it should have been bigger, more successful. Turn in 
Um, yeah, I'll, the, the, the thing that kind of saved our bacon on that record was uh, radio airplay was was like okay, it right? Was, but the MTV air the MTV airplay that we yeah. had, um, really helped us move records. Okay, good. We're going to do, uh, and you know, I, I sound like the guy with the tragedy story. <laughs> we, were, we were going to do a second record. Right. At Epic. Yeah, but the, the week that record came out on Epic in 1985, um, the guy who signed us quit his job and went to Polygram. Okay. So we were, no no one's taking care of you. Right. And you got to understand it's very competitive. So you got like five or six A&R guys that are signing bands. Yeah. They don't want the other guys' bands to be successful. Right. They went their bands because it's, you know, that's how you yeah. it. So nobody was really running t to our help. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> we'll take care of you guys. Yeah. And, and our manager at the same week uh, was ill and was hospitalized. Okay. So we had no manager and no one at the label to really guide us through. Wow. And uh, so um, we were a bit orphaned, but we went through and we did, and we, and we did a few tours. Um, I think the second record would have been better. So, and yeah, there was a big shakeup at Epic and they fired a lot of people. And the guy who signed us, who was over a Polygram, said to us, come to Polygram, make a record with me, walk away from all of your debt at Epic and start over again. Right. And we were like, okay. We asked out of our deal Yeah. at, at, uh, at Epic. And they let us go because it was, it was chaos, totally right. total chaos. The president, the president of Epic, Lenny Pizzi, he was fired, and okay. all this weird stuff was going on. So um, it turns out that uh, when we were ready to do our record, because Polygram had given us money to do demos and stuff, and when it came time to do the record, uh, he, he he left Polygram. <laughs> oh, he didn't go through, and we were like, oh my god. So we started shopping in again, and that's where we did the publishing deal. Because I was oh. just like, Brian, I'm, I'm broke. I mean, yeah. you know, there's only yeah. so much money you can make from playing gigs. So. Right. <laughs> that's that's great, yeah. So did any of those songs, you know, like you were working on the second album, make it to like later albums for Smash Palace or no? Um, yeah, there are a handful of songs. I think there's maybe five of them okay. in that interim period. That made it to future Smash Palace songs. Yeah. But yeah, but there's still a lot of material. Yeah. There's still a lot of songs from that time era. You know, that there's probably a good twenty of them. Yeah. So it, maybe yeah. we'll see some some one of these days. I don't know. Did you guys ever think about going back? I mean, kind of like a Quincy type album. We did. We actually released an EP in nine. No, I'm sorry, 2018. And um, it was, we, we got together for a few days. We we just came in, we had some songs written and we went yeah. to a recording studio and, and did them. It was pretty slapdash and fast, huh. but we didn't, it didn't come, it came out on a, on a, a very small label called Cool Cat Records. Okay. And, um, 
I don't, it really didn't make much of a, a dent. A dent, right. We, we just found it because we weren't going to play together. I think if we would have decided to, okay, let's get yeah. let's together, do some stuff, promote the record properly, and we would have had to go into our own pockets to promote it. And mm -hmm. I don't think anybody was really crazy about doing that. So right. <laughs> it kind of languished. Yeah. But, but, but Sony is remastering the Quincy record, and they're going to re-release it in June. Oh, great. Okay. So, yeah. They can do a vinyl copy too for that? Uh, you know, they're not, right now, they're not doing any physical. Okay. Sony Legacy says that 85% of their sales are either streaming, download, or streaming. Right. Okay. Physical, physical sales are literally just going away. And I know a lot of people, you know, don't want to hear this. And yeah. They, they love their vinyl, and I get it. And they love their CDs, and I get it. But really, you know, the, the data isn't supporting that. Right. It's supporting that. Yeah. You're going streaming. Yeah. I mean, because it's so much easier just to, you know, walk around with this and have thousands and thousands of songs on there. I mean, you know, I mean, I still like to actually have a physical copy of a vinyl, put it in, you know, the, the player. It's great. You know, cassettes, not so much, but <laughs> as long as you don't bring those back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you guys planning like any shows besides like, you know, outside Jersey? I know you're performing uh, with your other band, but anything coming up? I think um, with Smash Palace, it's uh, we don't venture far from our hood. Right. We can't really uh, get the kind of money that we need to travel and tour. Okay. So when I go out with Ed Rogers and we tour, it's usually the two of us as a duo. And okay. or, or, or or we play oftentimes with uh, a second guitarist who's our right. producer, but it's there's no drums, which is the big thing. And you know, and the more people we have, the more expensive it is. So if you're not making a few grand a night, yeah, it's not worth it. You know, people transportation, gas, hotels, per diems, yeah, stuff. Uh, you know, you're just getting killed. And uh, you know, I know a lot of bands that that, that do that. Um, and, and they take a loss. They're taking money out of their pocket. I, I mean, I really play and make music as as an art form and right. art for art's sake. But I'm also I've been doing this long enough where I make a profit at it. It's not it's not mm -hmm. something I do where like you know I'm gonna you know raid my bank account and yeah. make a great record and go out on a tour with it. I, I it, it has to generate money for me at this point in my life. Okay, so, right. Now, did you like ever have, besides the publishing, you know, like a nine to five job working? Okay. And it was, it was a really great gig. I was, uh, I was a, a single dad for a while and the music thing and raising my daughter was not compatible. Okay. And uh, so I thought to myself, well, if I had a job, it was the same hours as my daughter's school. That'd be perfect. I, I was a history teacher. Oh wow! Okay. For ten, for ten years. And, oh wow! Uh, okay. Yeah, but it, it, and I loved it. It was, yeah. it was from '93 to 2003. Okay. So right after I, I stopped doing music for you know being under yeah. contract by some, with somebody or another, right? I went in. I, I signed a teacher <laughs> contract. Yeah. It was great. It was a wonderful experience, and I got to be somebody else. Right. I got to be Mr. Butler. 
Yeah. Did, yeah. Did like your secret identity ever come out to anybody that you were in a band? I kept it quiet for years. Okay. I didn't tell anybody I was in a band because wow. I, was, I wanted to be taken seriously as yeah. a teacher. You know? Right. And then one day, one day I'm sitting at my desk and one of my students comes up and plops down all this paper. And it was somebody, unbeknownst to me, yeah. put up a website about Smash Palace. And it was dedicated to the band, had all these photographs and the story. And yeah. I was outed. Right. Everybody knew. And, uh, and it was actually that website uh, that started generating, uh, it became popular. And that's how a record label found out and got in touch with us to make oh, a festival, to put festival on. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so the first show was at the auditorium of the school? <laughs> we, it wasn't the first show, but I did it. I did a show at, our, at my high school auditorium. I did it. It was actually a fundraiser we did. Okay. To, uh, I think it was to raise money for performing arts things. So it was kind yeah. of, yeah. That's awesome. And what about your brother? Did he have a job as well? Yeah. And Brian, um, he, uh, got a job working for Mattel toys. Oh, nice. So, so Brian has training as a, as a fine artist, you know, to the Pennsylvania okay. Academy of Fine Arts. Right. So he got it with his art background. He got a job. He was like designing boxes and stuff. But after he was there for a few years, he ended up being the, the head of the racing car division, the slot okay. cars. So Brian used to design slot car racing sets, and he was oh. very successful at doing it. And they offered him, they moved to L.A., and they offered him a job, but he didn't want to come. Oh, okay. So there he went into uh, teaching art. So that's what he does now. He, okay. He's, he's, he, he goes back and forth between music and art. Right. Okay. So, I mean, he's not really, like part of the band right now right is he kind of like just like an honorary member is that how or it helps you write still but not performing we co-write together he produces 21 he sang four of the 10 songs okay so he's he's in all for all intents and purposes he's a member of the band except he just doesn't want to play live it's his okay. stick. right okay so he's not there you know banging the drums anymore <laughs> no no yeah. to him it's just like you know you guys go do that Steve, I really appreciate your time. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, it's great to meet you. And a special thanks to Stephen for joining me today. Go check out their website, smashpalacemusic.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at thepersonal 19 or like the page for my youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes, not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music. Basically, wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then. <laughs>